Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. And our topic today is talking with Gen Z hoops. So we are bringing on a first-time guest here on the Hoop Talk Podcast, and this man has done a lot in the basketball sphere, and we are just really excited to get to talk to him. And he is actually the creator of Gen Z Hoops. So please welcome to the podcast, John Hartophilis. What's going on, guys? Happy to be here. This is going to be a lot of fun. Really excited for the platform you guys have built and being a part of it. It's, it's a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun on the kind of pre-pod, just chopping it up. So I'm re- I think this is going to be, you know, I'm really excited for this one. Yeah, we've been trying to get to know our guests a lot through uh, just pre-pod talk. And we're, we're also trying to get more into the interview game as well. And I'm very excited that we, like I mentioned earlier, we were able to bring on John. He's done a lot in the basketball sphere. So for those who are not familiar with Gen Z Hoops, explain to the people um, what you what do you do with Gen Z Hoops? Definitely. So I started Gen Z Hoops, uh, kind of was like the second season of my podcast, which originally was called Big Fellas Basketball. Don't yeah, that name was kind of ridiculous. But with Gen Z Hoops, that was kind of the rebirth of I want to fully structure the content I'm making, the persona I, I'm building for myself, the brand I'm making, all about young people working in sports. That's my focus. Because my big thing is that age, I mean, it's kind of cliche to say that it's just a number, but it, it really is because me being 21, I know we're talking about our, our guy Sahil, who's 16 or 17 now, um, right? You can still make way even if you're not a 35 year old general manager, you can still build up to that. You can still build the skill sets necessary. Uh, you can still leave an impact on the sports world and be someone, uh, right. That can, that can, that can right. Be a, be an actual integral part of a sports team or, or right. Just have your, have an impact on what's going on on the floor. Um, and for me, uh, right now I'm doing that with uh, Xavier high school. I'm the assistant varsity coach. I'm doing that at MSG networks where I've, I've been interning there, but I get to go to all the games and be a part of that action. I'm doing that uh, through all these different, avenues that I know a lot of other people can do the same. It's just all about number one, putting yourself in the, in the right spots. And number two, right. Having the persona smiling, just being super energetic about what you're doing to where number one, people want you to be there. And number two, like you're able to really ingrate yourself in that environment and be successful in it. So that's kind of really all it's about is just having that mindset of, it doesn't matter how old I am. I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing. Number one. And even if someone tells me no, I'm going to think of a creative way to solve the problem, to network with people, to meet new people, to where if one person doesn't like my, my show or doesn't like the way I produce, I, I make my stuff, that's okay. I've got hundreds of other episodes and hundreds of other people that believe in it or that, right, they, they've already made it and they see what I'm doing and say, this guy's next up. And when you're talking about the idea of trying to get a story, right, you believe that everyone has a story. So who are some of the people that you've talked to? Because you've not only talked to players, you've not only talked to coaches and GMs, you've talked to PA announcers, you've talked to video associates of teams. Who are some of the people that you've talked to? That's a great question. There's a lot, a lot of people, like different people I can name. I mean, I go as far as to say, like, we you talked about PA announcers, there have been a few, and same thing with the video associates or video coordinators or really team security guards. I've had people like that on. I've had sleep doctors on or nutritionists because those might be very niche parts of the sports world. Maybe each team only has one, if that. Some teams don't even have any. Um, or mental or, 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 or uh, mental conditioning coaches and there's so many right little nuances to the game and there's so many new jobs being created these are people that are working in esports and that's like an emerging market uh but 
I think that's very important to go into all those small stuff because sure, it's great to have GMs on all the time and coaches and players. Um, and that's what everyone knows. And that's what people maybe when they see me go, Oh, I saw you had the GM of the wizards on like, congrats, man. And it's like, thanks because that's, you know, what maybe sticks out to them. But all the other stories that I've learned from that's taught me so much about the game. And the biggest thing that it's equipped me with number one, obviously knowing someone that works for a team and now getting to talk to them and now them being friends and and, going to Vegas and seeing them and all that stuff at summer league was great. Uh, but on top of that, it gives you talking points. So now when I'm talking to that executive and they bring up proper sleep, I can say, oh, well, when I had Dr. Blank on my podcast and she told me about this, boom. Now like, oh, wow, this guy knows about sleep stuff. Or he's talking about, right, team, team, team security guards. Everyone makes fun of me because of the socks. All the security guards at Madison Square Garden have my socks. And that's how I get on the court and stuff because those are all my guys. But I've had team security guards on the show before. I, have, I had one guy um, from the, Jonathan Ami from the, uh, 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 Santa Cruz Warriors. He actually tried out for their G League team. It was it was a story that made national news. And when I saw that he did that, I'm like, wow, like that's a pretty cool story. Let me have him on and talk to him about you know him being a security guard and what that's like. You know, being working around, being around a team and being around Steph Curry and stuff. And while most people might look at that and say, well, he's just he's just a security guard. He's just a. I've had I've had custodians on from the high school that I work at from like right that are always around our basketball program that are into basketball. Like, sure, basketball is the lens I need to have, I need the show to be about. But there's a lot of people that follow basketball that are around basketball that are around on a day-to-day basis that aren't exactly players, coaches, and execs. Like I said, whether it's a custodian, a, a mental condi- a, a performance con- uh, coach, there's so many different ways to view the game. We always think about it. And when I took my, ref- my ref- referee class, they said, there's the view of the official, there's the view of the fan, there's the view of the player, the coach, and all you know, going down the of the ways you can view the game because it's different, right? Viewing it as an official, you're analyzing it differently than you would if you were a coach looking for the X's and O's. You're looking for travels and violations and so forth. Um, same, I think it go when you look at the fan perspective or even uh, from the coach's perspective or anything like that, from the fan, right? I just mentioned to you about how people that are in the building, like a, let's say a security guard or something, or that still enjoys the game and watches it and gets to pay attention. Or like I said, a custodian or a ball boy, I've had some ball boys on some very good friends of mine. They get to watch from that lens, but they're not exactly a fan in the stands with a Jersey on. They're different. They work for the, you know, they have a different perspective when it comes to the coaching side, mental performance coaches, player development coaches, video coordinators, they're all coaches, but they all see it a little bit differently. They all have different jobs and nuances. Um, same thing when it comes to players, there's players from the NBA, which most people care about. And when I had Darius Garland on, right, everyone lost their minds, but I've had some great conversations with people in overseas leagues that you've never heard of because they actually, you know what? They have really cool stories. One of them, um, Jonathan Boone, he played for the Nets for a little while, but and that's kind of why everyone cared about, you know, everyone cared about that episode, but he's doing some really cool stuff with esports over or, or, overseas. And that to me is awesome because he's now taking his playing career and transforming it because sure, it's great to play for however many years, but if that's kind of all you have to you and now you're 50 years old, like you're not very interesting, but if you've stopped playing and then you went into coaching and then you went into play by play and then you went into all this, like, like that's, that brings to mind uh, Len Elmore. He was episode 46 of big fellas basketball. He's a professor now at Columbia university where I may go for grad school. I haven't decided yet. Um, but for the, for example, in terms of, uh, from that perspective, he went from playing in the NBA in the seventies to the, in the NBA for a little bit after the NBA merge, um, to being a color commentator, to being a coach, to being a professor, obviously, to be all these different things. Like that's what's fascinating. If all you have is one thing in one perspective, that's not as much fun as when you transition and you have all these different ways of seeing the game. And 
for me, right, being able to talk to all these people and being able to absorb all these ways of seeing the game, that makes me, number one, that much more knowledgeable about basketball. Number two, it gives me that much more content. But number three, and most importantly, it allows me to take on that many perspectives that makes me more impressive when I'm talking to someone. They say, wow, how do you know about that nuance of the game? It's like, well, I spoke to someone that, that knows it. Like, there's no other, there's no better way to learn about it. I can't really find out. Sure, I could, I could study it in college and spend years or, or in a textbook for that one specific thing. That might not give me the best results or the most efficient results. But if I go the other route of really getting to know someone that is super passionate about that, after a half hour to an hour, I can kind of get the gist of it. I might not be an expert, but I'm close enough to where if you, you know, if you want to know more, maybe I can put you in that direction or I can connect you with that person or there's something, there's something there. Uh, but that first step of networking and reaching out to someone, whoever that might be, is the biggest part. So I'm one of those people that when it comes to these interviews likes to be a little bit on the more wholesome side and focus on the beginnings as opposed to where you are in the current. There's a there's a step-by-step process to get yourself to where you are now. So let's start about let's start with your beginnings in terms of just being within the basketball space. What was your introduction to basketball? I know you've played basketball as well. You can talk about your story within that framework as well. But let's kind of like start from the beginning and work our way up to the, the great interviews and the the, the nice uh, internship and all that stuff like that because it was a lot of work a lot of a lot of pain blood sweat and tears type of energy that was put to get you to where you are right now definitely so for most of my life I was trying to play basketball I'm gonna make sure that's clear definitely wasn't <laughs> that good uh, I started when I was 13 it was it was pretty tall but didn't really understand the game at all and didn't really play on a consistent basis because my dad never played. I, my family never played. I was kind of the weird one that liked basketball in my family because I was tall one day. A coach said, Hey, like you should try out for our team. And I was like, really didn't play too well, but I was like, you know what? Maybe I should get this thing a chance. And I just kept on going out until eventually I fell in love with it. I went from not knowing what a layup line was to like really diving into like everything X's and O's because I wanted to get better at the game. Uh, my senior year, actually, I tell this all the time. I didn't know how the bonus worked in high school basketball. I'd made my high school varsity basketball team. Did not know how the bonus worked, figured it out, and then I was coaching the next year. And now I now I trust I, I I know a little bit of how the bonus works and stuff like that with my with my referee certification. But that's kind of the whole thing is like I never really it's always been a weird thing for me because I was always the underdog in that sense. I was always I was I never was really expected to do much. I was always expected to, you know, be is maybe he'll get in or maybe he'll play or and I wasn't really ever that good until my senior year when I really put all my all into just being as good as I can to make the team because that was my overall goal. My my in my mind life would just end after I made the basketball team. It's like, okay, if I make this team as a senior, it's over. And I kind of look at it as like, that was a big turning point in my life because whether I made the team or not, I had already made the decision or the, I had already come to the conclusion in my mind that I put my all into this, whether I make it or not, that's out of my control. Um, I did the best I can and whatever happens, I'll walk away from it knowing that I did my best and that's all that matters, which I think is a very important thing because let's say I didn't make the team, what I've done what I've done now, yes. And that, while sure, I might have been coaching Xavier and the road might've been a little different, the mindset of I've done something super hard before. Like I've, I've worked my, my butt off for something and whether it works out or doesn't, I know I worked my butt off. That's all that matters. So that, that's kind of what it wasn't making the team. That was kind of the culmination of it all. It was that my, my biggest thing is the mindset of it. It was the mindset of I'm going to work as hard as I can to make the team. And that's all that matters because if I'm like, there's so many kind of nuances that go into that in terms of right, putting your all into it. And that's why the, uh, the list sits right behind me on my wall every day. And it's the original list from when I made the team. And it means so much to me because that's kind of what started everything I've been doing since then with the coaching and with all this, all this stuff. It's, it was a big part of it. Cause it gave me the confidence of, Oh, like when you work really hard, this stuff does pay off sometimes and you can't really use it. So it did, it was helpful to make the team, but that, that kind of, in terms of falling in love with the game is what really started because I wanted it so badly going, going to family barbecues and people like, Oh, you play high school basketball. Oh, you play basketball. How's Xavier doing this year? 
oh, well, I got cut and I made the team this year. Like that always killed me. Um, and that kind of denial always really bothered me. Eventually kind of overcoming that is a part, like people might think it's just high school basketball. That's something that stays with me like right now. That's kind of what keeps me working hard right now. That's a mindset that while I developed when I was 15, 16, pushes me. It's going to keep pushing me to keep going when I'm 35, 40, um, because I kind of figured out this is how to work hard just from, from that, from that experience. So that was really big for me. But then, right, you kind of, you're kind of all gearing back to how the show started. I got cut from the, uh, from the Steve, team at Stevens Institute my, my freshman year of college. And I was upset for like five hours. And then my high school varsity coach offered me the job to coach at Xavier. And I was like, oh, I'm better now. Let's chill. <laughs> let's go. Let's go get it. Let's, let's go. Let's go do this. So, cause I was so happy to be back in my high school and coaching. So I went and did that. Um, did that for a year at the freshman level. Loved it. Second year to the freshman level again, enjoyed it even more. But then at the end of the second year, COVID hits and you're hit with, and like, this is the one thing, right? Getting cut from that college team might've been the end for me, right? It might've been like, oh my God, what do I do now? And I kind of just pivoted, which is some, you know, obviously a big, big basketball term. I think that pivoting is super important and realize that this next chapter for me is going to be about right working in, in the sport for my entire life, because I'm not going to be playing basketball forever, but I can work in it for the rest of my life. How am I going to do that? Um, the fact when, when COVID hit, right, if I had been playing, I might've just been in limbo. Like, Oh, I'm waiting for my season to start. And I would have been telling you guys, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be on the show number one, but if I were to be on the show for whatever reason, I would be telling you guys how like, Oh, well, it's so unfortunate that my season got cut. Like, what do I do now? Or what was me? When in reality, I, you know, my, you know, the world kind of shut down for a little bit. And I thought, how can I use this to my advantage? Obviously it's a terrible situation, but how can I get the most out of this and people being home and on zoom and me putting in hours to make my LinkedIn profile as good as possible and sending out hundreds of messages a day ended up paying off. I was reaching out to golf coaches for a while or, ten or tennis, you know, just anything in sports, not even basketball. And everyone was saying no and not responding. And I finally got a yes from Coleman Ayers, who's a friend of mine now. He's from Miami. He's a 22, well, maybe he's 23 and I got to check on that because he was, he's a year older than me and I'm about to turn 22, but he's a trainer out of, out of Miami, uh, uh, by any means basketball. I've been watching his videos since I was seven, 16 and he was 17 killing it. And when I tell you he's a genius when it comes to training, he's the best there is. And he was a celebrity to me growing up because I would watch his videos. Now, no one knew who he was. And now he's got, you know, a couple hundred thousand followers and he did a big, uh, he did a big event in Miami with Drew Hanlon and all these big name guys. And that's why people know who he is now. But at the time he was just a kid that made videos. And I thought he was like, oh my God, like this guy's a, like if I'm, oh my God, imagine I meet him one day. Right. He, I, I messaged him on LinkedIn about coming on the show. He responds in five minutes with his phone number and says, yo, my man, I'd love to come on. Just let me know. And I'm like, damn, if I can get Coleman, I can get anybody. That was my, that was my mindset. Right. And like, he's like, not even like at the time, right. My friends don't know who Coleman is. Like no one knows who he is. Like in, in my, in my circle, if you're in the training world, you definitely know who Coleman is. But that to me was like all the, all, all I need. And then from there, I bone collector on and George Murison came on. Who's like the seven, seven guy from the wizards. And it's like, I never thought I'd be talking to him. Like he's a seven, seven dude that played in the nineties. Like, why is he coming to my podcast? I'm communicating with him on WhatsApp. Like, you know, cause he's in Romania or whatever. Like what? Like, this is just so backwards, but it kept on happening because I kept on putting the same approach to it where I just, you know, sent a lot of messages and kept my, my, my energy and my smile and my, my, my personality in check. And after sending all those messages out, it, it worked. And then Tommy Shepard came on a few weeks later. He's episode 27. George Murison was 23. Howard Beck was number 25. These are all huge name guests that I never thought I'd talk to. And just whether it's luck, whether it's right place, right time, because like, for example, Howard being between Sports Illustrated and Bleacher Report and Sports Illustrated, rather, whether it was right place, right time or what it was, it happened because of the approach I took. And if I had sat around during COVID and said, oh, well, what am I going to do now? Or 
oh, it's so unfortunate. I missed out on this internship because of COVID because I did go to the MBA office right before COVID happened. And I might've had an internship that summer and it didn't happen. And could I have been telling you right now, oh man, it was so unfortunate. I missed out on my opportunity and it's the world's fault. Yes, but I'm not doing that because there's a mindset approach you can take to where you can super, you can supersede that and surpass that. And I, I would hope that's what I did by doing what, by, by, by the show and making content, which is what I beg everyone to do if you're trying to get into, into any space and knock that door down, is make content where people know that you've done your homework, you've put the work in to be where you are. And that's kind of what I tried to do. And over reps and reps and reps, I went from being someone that had a big lisp and stuttered and I still talk fast and I'm working on it, but right. Having all that energy towards something, channeling it, putting it towards something. And now there's a product that people at that level can see and go, okay, wow, like he actually does this or he does this at a high level, or maybe he can, if he does that at a high level, maybe he can do this at a high level for me. Um, and that's kind of the biggest thing I found with networking. And that, that's obviously a whole different discussion, but with networking is that it's gotta be a two-way street. I never reach out to any of my guests and say, Hey, can I get a job? Cause then I'm going to get one response out of a million instead of right. 10, hundred, whatever it might be, or, you know, the episode guys I've had on my show, because I reach out to them and say, I like to invite you on my podcast. Like it's, it's kind of like, sure. Do I get, you want to say more or less who gets more or less out of it. That's all subjective. Um, but, and do I get thousands of views? No. And is that, are they getting a lot of publicity by coming on the show? Maybe not. Maybe sometimes who knows, depends on how it comes on their Instagram or whoever it might look like. That's all, that's all some advertising mumbo jumbo. I don't understand. But what I do know for sure is that I'm at least trying to make it a two-way street or create a platform that they can use for their benefit as well to where they go, huh, let me give this guy a chance. Oh, let me, let me, let me try that. And that's all it's about because so many people reach out to me and say, Hey, like, like this person's not responding to me. I don't know why. And I'm like, okay, well, what did you send them? And they said, well, I asked them if they had any openings. That's, that's not really going to work because I mean, even when, like, when, when, when you get that message, it kind of, you kind of just, you're like, number one, most people can't do that because they're not decision makers. So now they're in a tough spot to where they have to disappoint you and tell you no. And then what, like, that's, it's just so, so messy. The best thing to do is to create some kind of brand, some kind of platform for yourself, something that you can offer someone. Maybe it's making scouting reports. Hey, I'd like to help you out with this. And then now you've extended that offer. A lot more people will accept an offer than they will just respond to you saying, just, just kind of by, oh, that, 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 that uh, luck of that luck of the draw chance of, oh, you know, you roll the dice and, oh, now you have a job. That's not really how it works. There's so much work that goes behind the scenes to that elevator pitch moment that ends up working out for you. So I want to kind of take that and build upon something by asking you a question that could be pseudo deep, but I think we've had enough conversation before the podcast to kind of maybe it'll work itself out. And it's the question around creating content from the aspect of somebody who might not be ready or might not be willing to take that leap of faith that needs that push, needs that something to put them in that position to be able to make that move. Because I can speak on that personally. A quick little backstory on how me and Ryan even got this whole thing started. Ryan came to me um, right in the midst of all the COVID stuff bumping um, at the very beginning. And our our sports journalism professor um, the semester prior had let him know that Ryan was trying to get advice about like, basically how can I put myself in a better position to be able to get a job in this space move forward? He was like, well, like you should think about the idea of like starting a podcast. It gives yourself a chance to get reps and things like that. And when Ryan came to me, this is coming off of the last thing we ever did together. We did a PTI uh, based segment as a project for that same sports journalism class. And he was like, Oh, we had pretty great chemistry during that project. Like, and maybe we could turn into like a little bit of like a long-term thing, create some content. I'm trying to learn a little bit more about basketball. You seem to have a lot of knowledge about basketball. We can kind of grow within this space together. And initially, the truth is initially, I wasn't feeling it. Let me tell you why. I don't like hearing my voice playback. I don't like being on camera. I wasn't sure what the heck we were going to do because I had never thought about running a podcast. 
I only listened to it. But I told myself that I had to get over that if I was ever going to be able to move forward. I enjoy doing writing in terms of this sports journalism space, but I know that in this kind of area or really in any area of life, that being multifaceted is your only way to truly be able to move ahead in terms of being open to different things. With that being the case, I come back to you and saying that you were somebody who made a pivot from being the guy who wanted to play to being around the game in a completely different framework than maybe the way you initially imagined it. So for somebody who needs that nudge, for somebody who is looking for the way to start but doesn't know how, like, what would your advice to them? My, and it's gonna sound it's it's gonna sound so simple, but the advice is just to start because this is I'm gonna sound like Gary Vee right now. If you're concerned with how you sound or what it looks like or that you're not good enough or, or whatever or the production value of your podcast or really I keep on coming back to podcasting. Someone might look at me and say, challenge me and say, well, what would you do if podcasting didn't exist? And I would say, well, I'd find some other way to create content or to make a medium or to showcase my my skill sets or my abilities. For me, my maybe it's drawing plays up or scouting. Or, there's a million different ways to do it. It's not just podcasting. And there's always Right? There's so many people that have found success in the past. And the more you can talk to people and find out how they did it, find out how they did it, try to replicate it. There's a million different ways to do it. Uh, but to back, answer your question in terms of just doing it, Gary Vee says all the time, if you worry about your production value or being in 4K or, be, or having the best microphone, then you don't value, and I, 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 I'm, I'm not going to curse. I'm going like to bleep. I'm going to say it's just effing mouth. But you don't care. You, if you prioritize the production value over your content, you're, 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 you're prioritizing the, the opinions of others over what's actually coming out of your effing mouth. That's kind of what he always says. And other people's opinions don't matter. Like my show, when I first started, I would get made, my show was called Big Fellas Basketball. And it was because when I would play, I was, I'm 6'4", I'm not even that tall, but in the Greek league I play in, I was the only kid that could dunk. So like I was the big fella, right? Whatever. And it was like, okay, cool. Like Big Fellas Podcast. What a cool name. Like everyone's got a show with like, you know, a name like that. Um, and I would go to the park and I'd play and they'd be like, oh, look, it's Big Fellas Podcast. And everyone start laughing. And like that kind of sucked for like a little bit. But then all of a sudden, then you really, I, after like, I, t- I think I told you this before the show, 90% of podcasts quit after episode nine. They don't make it to episode nine. So what does that mean? That means if you get to episode, if you keep on going, if you, if you make 10 episodes and they suck, but they're 10 episodes, you're better than 90% of people. That's, that's it. That's what, that's really what that means. Cause I'd rather have someone like, I'm sure of course, quality is very important and having great guests and all that stuff is very important, but I'd rather have someone that really tried and couldn't get guests, but really kept on pushing and making content and putting themselves out there and getting made fun of and did a hundred episodes and someone that, right. Maybe they're, they, they know, they know, they, their dad knows someone, they know someone, they got some good, some good guests. They only did nine and they just kind of gave up cause they weren't feeling it. Like I'd, I'd, I'll take, I'll take the first guy that did a hundred worked his ass off any day of the week um, and sent out a bunch of messages to the guy that kind of just somehow got lucky or got quality or whatever that might look like. I'd take the first guy every day of the week. Now, that being said, that that that's what's so important. It's that doing it, and I, I'm always going to use the podcast example because that's what I've done and that's what I can kind of draw from and the examples I could use. But it really, like I said, scouting reports, coaching diagrams, if we're not doing, let's say I'm, let's say I'm, I'm a chef. I could, you know, write, make recipes, like whatever it is. Like I, my, my whole, my world is basketball, but whatever profession you're in, there's a way to showcase how good you are at it. And, or like for me, right. My, my skill, maybe isn't how good I am at basketball, right. That's kind of maybe what you might hear when I say, how good am I? It's more like, I'm think that I'm trying to show that I have a skill of talking to people that are good at, like, I, 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 I might be the worst trade negotiator in the world. You guys don't know that, but I've spoken to, you know, guys like Kobe Allman, who just made some, you know, who built up the Cavs to be a great, a great team in the East. Now, right away that off the bat, does that mean that I'm good at making trades? No, but it shows that I've spoken to people that are, and maybe that's kind of 
a, an indicator that I know a thing or two as well. So that's kind of the biggest thing is that for me, I've done it by interviews and talking to people because I just like talking to people and get really excited over it. But you have to find what you're good. I, I, I always knew I was good at making people smile and laugh and being, and right. And, and maybe I'm awkward for that. Right? Maybe, maybe that's my awkwardness kind of showing out, but I'm good at that. Right. I think I am. Cause I've been doing it for my entire life is, is making people laugh and walking into a room and everyone right. Is like, I, I'm talking to people. So that was always my strong suit. Now what's yours? It, once you find like it's not even like once you find that, you know what it is. You're just embarrassed by it. Cause I was embarrassed to talk to people too. So you know what you're good at. And I'm talking to the listeners. I'm talking to you guys. I'm talking to anybody. You know what you're good at. You just might be embarrassed to show it because you care about other people's opinions too much. If you put that away and you put that fear of other people's opinions away and you say, you know what? I am super good at, right, whatever. What, 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 I, I can't even think about it because there's so many different ways. But whatever it is, I'm going to go full force on that. No one can really stop you because once you do it enough times, you're going to be good. If, if, if you don't believe you're good at it, once you do it enough times, you will be. Because I'm not in no way good at speaking. But because I've done it so many times, I'm either A, some people might think I'm good at it, or B, I've hoodwinked people into thinking I'm good at it because I've done it so many times. Like in, in either way, you will be good at something because you've done it so much that you just put your heart and soul into it to where you have to, like the world has to reward. You're going to be good at it in some way. So I would just say, I mean, the, these actions just do it. Make today, today is February 9th that we're recording this. Make today that day that's going to be immortally, like immortal for the day you went all in. For me, my birthday is June 21st. I told myself there is no way in hell I'm uh, before uh, June 20th, I'm posting a podcast no matter what. I don't care if it's me saying, hi, my name is John. I'm starting a podcast. On June 20th, a podcast will be made. Like, like I swear to God, like, no matter what, that's happening. So what happened? June 20th, 2020, I did a podcast with my friend. I've always been, you know, I was always the big guy. So like Kim Olajuwon and post moves and all that good stuff, pivoting, right? That's my big thing. That was always like my only thing I could do is like catch the ball in the post, like, right? Like that's me, the 6'4 guy that had great footwork. Like that doesn't get you playing college basketball. Anyways, Right, that gets you. To, that gets you to be good at college or the Greek league. That doesn't make you good in uh in uh, in any sort of college basketball scene. Six four white guy that can that can pivot, but right, that was that whole that that was that, that that's everything that involved, that involved that 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 day June twentieth is the day it's gonna happen. That's what I, I made the episode about Kim Olajuwon. The rest is history. Why? If I had said. I'll do that episode about it, you know, someday. I'll, I'm going to wait until I get a big time guest. That, I'm going to reach out to all these people. And once a good enough guest comes by, that's when I'll do a show. You're never going to get that good guest because you never did a show to begin with. The reason Tommy came on and he told me this when I met him in Vegas, what Tommy Shepard being the gym of the Wizards, it's because it's not because I had a, all these views. It's because he saw that I did a, I, I was consistent over, over, over a substantial period of time where for the course of five, six months, I did an episode two, twice a week. And I spoke to people, and I spoke to George Marison, of course, who's from the Wizards, but I spoke to people who, like, right, he knew him. But there's other people, right, that you could see there was a theme there. There was a, there was a work ethic there. There was some sort of drive. If I just reached out to him and said, like, hey, you're episode number one, like, you're, like guess who? Like, you're going to be episode number one because you're the gem of the Wizards. He would have been like, who the hell is this kid? Like, he's like, what? So there's, there's got to be some sort of, like, there's a progression to it. You're not going to get the gem overnight. I got, I, I got extremely fortunate that he responded to my email and got, and we did in the first few months of me doing the show. It could have been much longer than that. But whatever that case may be, it takes time. It's not an overnight thing. I didn't have, right now we're at episode like 430 something. I didn't have 430 in one night. It took a long time to get to even 10 before I said, you know, or 50 before I said, I'm doing this every single day. That's why I have all these episodes. Everyone's always like, how do you have all these episodes? Because I did one a day of some of them were, a lot of them, three out of the seven a week were video interviews with, with guests. The other four were audio only with me and either one of my friends that I made in the industry. So one of my friends, Ananya, she works for the Warriors. Another guy, she does stats. Uh, Curtis does game day for the Grizzlies. A lot of friends like that. We got together. 
and we would do a show doing recaps of the central division and just kept trying to get creative and talk about the NBA landscape and stuff for those few days during the week. But that's kind of how I got to this number. And the number seems like almost absurd to even believe it. And that's why people just assume that I'm good at it or that I'm like, right. That, that's kind of what it's all about. And then of course there's the socks we can get into and stuff. You guys, you guys, you guys have all the questions about that. You, I mean, everyone's always thinking like, what the hell is going on with this kid? And what the hell's going on with the sock guy over here? But I'm weird. I'm awkward, but you know what? I, I, I embrace it. I, I, I love myself for it. That's my super. If there's one thing I, if I, if I have a superpower, it's not like John has all these connections. Like he's got, like, it's a superpower phase. Like, no, like that's not like, that's the end goal maybe of the superpower of not being, a, not being embarrassed by myself and just being open. And and it's smi- smiling is my biggest thing is that I'm always, you, you, if you see me, I'm not going to be like sitting in a basketball game all pissed. Like, Oh man, like, I spoke to that guy. He didn't like my podcast. I'm going to be all paid. Like, no, it's like, oh, well, like life's awesome. Like that's always been my approach. I wake up every morning and I see this stuff and it's like just further validation of like, wow, like life's beautiful. So that's a long way to say, just do it because you'll be as as, you'll be as happy. I I promise you, you'll be as happy as I am if you just do it because I am super happy right now. I'm super happy on the show with you guys. Uh, This has been a lot of, this, this whole thing's just fun. This whole journey has been just so much fun kind of reminiscing on all of it. It's like, and to think like this much happened in a few months or, you know, a year and a half's time, the next like 50, 60, like I just always, that's the kind of what blows my mind is like, it's only going to get better and, or just be awesome. So, I mean, the place where I want to pivot is about what you do right now in terms of coaching. What has that been like? What is some of the stuff that you've learned as being a part of Xavier program? And just in general, it can be about basketball. It can be about yourself. It can be about helping other people. Like what are, some of your biggest takeaways working within that space because again i want to touch on something i feel like is so important because of the idea that you you pivoted from something that you thought you were you could have been able to carve something out a long time free for it right like i can make this same comparison just out of the fact that i used to try to play high school basketball too like everybody has had hoop dreams before if you're interested in basketball right you're not really sure exactly where that's going to lead you but Everybody starts out with a hoop dream where it's you that's that that's the player. It's you that gets to live out all of these other things that you watch on TV on a regular basis. But now you've put yourself in a different space. And I know coaching is a completely different aspect than just being like the fan that has the podcast as like me and Ryan operate as. So like, what has been some of your takeaways being within that space? It's been huge. Coaching's been a dream come true. And it's been a lot of fun to just impact lives in any way. Just being around the kids because... The crazy thing with my story is that when I was a freshman in college, I, did, I had the freshman team. Those same guys now that I'm a senior in college are seniors in high school, and I'm coaching them on the varsity level. So I've kind of watched them grow up, and it's kind of weird like seeing them now like be like almost adults and stuff like they were like little baby freshmen and like that team was like you know crazy like you know the last like the if you want to if you want to like laugh be around a freshman basketball team like those kids like <laughs> that age group is hilarious. Those kids will make you laugh with all their just nonsense utter nonsense but then again like right these kids are all growing up now they're all they all they, they take it way more seriously than they used to um and we just, and they, we have all those memories going back but obviously we're doing that stuff now and that relationship being built over four years is something that i value a lot um being around that's you know truly it, it, it's very fulfilling to me to just be have been around for the whole thing for them uh, like they've always had coach john and they like in their basketball career Xavier. that's to me is pretty special um but overall, in terms of learning, I mean, look, I get to work with a 31-year-old CHSA Hall of Famer every single day. Um, I can't like that's that I can't discredit that as being nothing. That's that's a huge part of my learning experience of why, how I know the game of basketball is that I get to watch him do film. I get to 
sit and watch him make the practice plan. I get to sit and watch him. Like that man does not stutter. He does not, he does not waste a breath. Everything he says is with a purpose. Everything he says is with direction and with conviction. And he knows what he's saying. And like everyone's just like listening hell bent because they know that what he's saying is right because he's been doing it for all this time. Um, so being around that's been a, it's like a crash course in basketball almost. Um, whether it was with the freshman level, just kind of that, that's where I learned a lot more about people. I learned a lot more about like, Cause I kind of went into it being like, Oh, this is so cool. I get to coach not really understanding the responsibility that I had and not really understanding that like, okay, like the language, the one thing I learned right off the bat is that the language I use is so important. Like, and that's something I've been reading a lot about um, in terms of, it's called uh, neurolinguistic programming, NLP talking about like, for example, the word just, if I were to say like, Oh yeah, like, can you just go get me that? Can you, can you, go, can you just get me a, a ball over there? That's a little different than saying, can you please get, can you please grab that ball? Or pass, can you please pass me that ball? Because it's, it's just a different pers- uh, way, way to just say the word. So I, I try not to say no a lot. I try to say like, yes. So instead of like, no, you're right. It's like, yes, you're right. Because that's the proper English number one, but that's number two. It makes people feel a little bit better. Instead of saying sorry, sorry all the time, my bad coach, I teach my players to say, thank you. Like, thanks for pointing that out. Or thanks for teaching, or thanks for teaching me that. Or thanks for, Thanks for delivering. You know, th- I'll do better next time. Thank you. Thank you for letting me know. Or, or, or thank you for the opportunity to try again. Or whatever, whatever that might look like. Like, not obviously not that you would say that, but by saying thank you, that's better than sorry or my bad. My bad just puts a bad situation. You know, that kind of puts a shell on it. Thank you is like okay, next one, right? Next one. That's a little bit uh, more indicative of that. So that's kind of some stuff I learned in terms of how do I better get, kind of give that off to my players, get that perception. The biggest thing I try to do is just keep be positive because a lot, these guys are under a lot of pressure, right? These high schoolers, whether it's college admissions, whether it's, I mean, there's so much that's kind of just over, the, over their shoulders that if I can do anything to take that off of them, that's what I'm going to try to do. Um, take any sort of burden off their shoulders. There's so much that goes into, I mean, the biggest thing with me, X's and O's are great, is learning that part of it. And I'm getting better at that every day. There's so many times where maybe it's not mistakes that I make, but it's like, I could have done that better. I could have spoke, like when I spoke, I could have made him feel a little bit more at ease. I could have made him feel a little bit better. How, like, that's the biggest thing I always think about is like, how is, how are all 15 guys feeling right now? Right. Cause you can just look at it. Oh, you know, the locker room's happy. Oh, like everyone in the locker room's doing great. Oh, the team's doing great. Oh, we're winning games. But like, how does every guy feel? Like that, that's the biggest thing is how does each, like, I think to myself all the time, I'll go home, I'll look at the roster and I'll go through with the names. Cause I, I gotta see like, you know, obviously I, cause then you get caught into like, Oh, he's good. He's good. He's good. But I look at the name and I'm like, how is Tom doing? How is Colin? Doing? How, how are these guys? How's Brady? How are these guys actually doing? And I think about it and I, you know, maybe, I, you know, maybe I'm like, you know what? I, I haven't spoken to him in a few days. I'm going to talk to him. To, I, I got to make a point to talk to him tomorrow and see how he's doing at home or see how he's doing whatever situation. That's something I take a lot of pride in because Am I an X's and O's savant or anything like that? No. But can I do the best job I can of making sure these guys feel loved and appreciated and taken care of? Yes. And that's kind of what I try to aspire to do every day. Let me ask you this about the perspective, though, in terms of the transition from player to coach, because we see this a lot with mainly players in the pro level, but we also see it with the college and the high school level. How has the perspective changed for you transitioning from a player to a coach? Because we can obviously point to the fact that you're not playing on the court and instead you're you know, coaching on the sidelines, but how, what else has changed for you in that aspect? It's funny. Cause a lot of people get more stressed out when they coach because they have no, you can't control the outcome as much as you could as a player. Like as a player, you're like, you know what? It's, it's, it's really my fault. If it, and as a coach, you're like, it's not my fault. You know, we missed a lot of shots. It's not my fault, but I, I've kind of really removed myself from whether it's finger, whether it's like how accountable are you or all that stuff. I kind of take it out of that. Number one, I always think everything's my fault. That's a way to, if you really want to live a stress-free life, Take make everything your fault because when it's someone else's fault, it sucks because like you can't really control that. But that being aside, 
like, sure, can I impact it as much as I, you know, as much as you can when playing, or can you, do you, do you feel helpless sometimes or whatever? Like that's, that's all irrelevant because the real transition is in, in seeing how your responsibility goes up even more because instead of being responsible, you're responsible for everyone. Everyone's looking at you. Everyone's like, and that's kind of maybe what a star player feels like too, but coaching, I just feel in terms of preparation, there's so many things that like, I, I, even, even the worst guys on the team or whatever that might look like, they need me in ways that they, that they, that they don't need me when I'm playing. They didn't need me when I was playing. Um, that sort of responsibility is a big thing for me. Just there's so much I can go into with this. And thank I really appreciate you asking that question because there is so much that goes unnoticed about coaching. And, and I've, I've, I've been beating this to death. We're talking about just obviously the relationship with players, but that's obviously number one, the biggest thing, but number two, it's like that that's kind of the biggest changes. Like you go from like it being all physically what you can do to being like you to just thinking everything. Like I'm literally thinking through everything a million times. Okay. If I go up to the, like this kid just made a mistake. If I put it on blast right now, that might really crush him. If I let it go, that's not like, how do you approach that perfectly? There's, it's much more of a chess game. It's much more, you really don't understand what's gonna happen. Cause you know, in basketball, right? If you go to the, if you go to the lane, you're going to get fouled. There's like really like only so many things that can happen. Right. Our coach would always say, if you pass the ball middle, if you pass the ball middle, it's a zone, you're doing the right thing. Like that, right? Like that, you know, kind of how everything's going to play out. Coaching wise, you never know. You never know people are going to take things. You never know if, if something's going to work. You never know if guys can run the stuff you're trying to put in. It's much more, it's, it's much like, there's so much more that you don't know and you're learning more all the time. Um, that's kind of the biggest thing I learned, I learned the transition and I've enjoyed it more than play, even though there's not as much excitement over it. Cause like, right, you're getting hyped for a big game. I've looked at it as something that I can, like, I, I'm more anxious. I'm, I'm more like excited about like what could happen than like what will happen. It's, it's more like, I, like the, there's more excitement for like the different variations that can happen as opposed to like already anticipating like winning or something already anticipating scoring a lot of points. It's like, it's more of a mystery. And I kind of like that. Not gonna lie. So I just want to kind of piggyback off of that by asking you this. If you look at everything that you've done so far within this basketball space from the transition from being a player, being a coach, doing the podcast. Now, one of the biggest things that I felt like I wanted to ask you was from a creativity standpoint, especially because you have so many episodes. That's something that I wanted to talk to you about just because I know me and Ryan get the same flack. We're like 200 and something episodes deep and we kind of did it a little bit faster than I think we even meant to. Um, in terms of learning about yourself from the aspect of being a content creator, knowing that you've come from all these different like frameworks within the same niche of basketball, right? Like, like, what makes it easy for you to continue creating content outside of obviously trying to like forge the space for yourself in terms of like creating a living out of this and stuff like that moving forward, everything under the sun. But like, what makes it where you're able to, you know, continue this grind? Because you mentioned it earlier. We talked about it off off pod, the whole um, the whole nine episodes threshold. But you're so beyond that. And there's that aspect of still kind of like, you know, why? You know, there's still that why element in terms of continuing to create content on a regular basis. So like what for you keeps you doing this? What for you helps it where you're able to wake up and come up with unique ideas, unique ways to be able to get in front of people, unique ways to be able to reach out to people and things like that? Number one, it's fun. It's just, I just have a lot of fun doing what I'm doing. So I, I can't even, I, I don't really see it as work. Like my happy place is on LinkedIn, reaching out to people. 
That's just straight up. That's just straight up how it is. Like I, I just the, the excitement of the best feeling in the world. Number one, the second best feeling in the world is getting a LinkedIn notification, and it's like, oh, who, who's this person? Who just connected me? Who just sent me a message? The best feeling in the world is when you're sending LinkedIn messages and you get one of those. That's the best feeling in the world. When I'm like in the middle of sending all these messages, and a message that I sent ten minutes ago gets responded to, while I'm sending out all these other messages. That feels so good. I can't even lie to you guys. That is the best feeling in the world. So it's the idea of like really because people talk about like instant gratification like really seeing it and like i'm i'm okay with like sending all these messages out and not seeing the result until a month later right like i, I get responses on messages sometimes that i sent out like back in november and they get back to or even before i, I mean oh my god dean oliver took me it took us literally like 10 months to get the show going he said yes like back when i first started i didn't have him on until like 20 you know a year later it was like something crazy like that we like a bunch of times it didn't work out and then like team practices got in the way and then we finally did it and like it's not really the gratification of it because some of these stuff do take a long time. Some episodes, sometimes I reach out to people and they say, Hey, can you do, can you record tonight? I'm like, sure. And then we record tonight. Like that feels good too. But it's the idea of like, it's like, wow, like this, like, it's just remembering that this does work. Cause I say this all the time and like, people are like, does it really work that well? I mean, obviously my show's living proof that this does work, but like, is it that easy? Does it really work that way? And when I get a response like that, I'm like, I'm sitting there typing, like, I'm going to do some more of these. Like, this is, this is fun. Um, so that's just a quick thing in terms of that. But I mean, look, burnout is real. I'm even experiencing it now because like I said, it's a lot of fun, but with MSG and Xavier, like right that, like I said, doing a good job with film, like these take up so many hours of my day. Like my, my priorities are MSG and Xavier, right? Like nothing's going to come before that and sleep. Sleep's very important. I, I never discount <laughs> that. And you know, I'm trying to go to the gym and all that good stuff. But at the same, like, and Gen Z may have taken a slight backseat to that. Not, you know, it's nothing I can do about that. It's just like at a certain point, sleep, MSG and Xavier take priority because number one, that's what it's where I'm getting my paycheck from. That's where I'm impacting the most lives from and all that good stuff. And, and Gen Z's already, like you said, did so many episodes, already kind of done its job almost, right? It's already kind of built that up. Still love it. Still want to make as many episodes as possible. Still want to keep on doing it to a high level. Um, but maybe right, I haven't been as good as po at posting about it or as good at making at, at making everything on time. And sure, that's that's been a drawback. But when it comes to like, how do you, do, people always ask me, how do you do it? Number one, that's, super, that's what I, kind of what I said is the superpower is, having that energy and loving it and being, you know, a superpower is loving what you do because that's what makes you do it at a high level. But when it really comes down to it, I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I, there's something about, there's an excitement to it that I can't replicate, that I can't just, I can't explain to you with words. Um, whether it's with LinkedIn, whether it's with making an episode, whether it's with seeing, like, whether it's giving someone a pair of socks like that, that gives me a lot of joy, honestly, to see. I gave it one to one of my, the video editors at MSG today. I hadn't seen her in a, she, with Christmas and stuff. There was a big COVID outbreak in New York. So like people were alone for a while. I hadn't seen her. And I gave her her socks for Christmas today. And she like freaked out. She was like, oh my God, this is like the best kids I've ever gotten. And like that, that those, there's just, I, I try to, I mean, even my room right now, it's surrounded with positive reinforcement. Like I look at this stuff and I'm like, oh shit, like it works. Like I look at these things. I see myself with people that I never thought I'd meet in person. And I'm like, it works like, and that kind of, that's kind of what keeps me going is like just creating an environment in my own head or in my own room, like wherever I go that like, there's just so much positivity around it that, I mean, I just kind of can't help, but keep doing more of it. So before we transition to the basketball talk, cause we are going to get into some like NBA takes and stuff like that. Can you just tell a story, the background story behind like the socks as an element for your podcast real quick? This is something that if you're familiar with Gen Z's, like page you've seen it plastered around but this is something that i think is so creative i'm a big socks guy actually this is uh, something i got from my dad so um i'm actually really interested in this like this methodology because i think it's really interesting 
so I just did my laundry a little while ago. So I actually have like a lot of socks of myself right here. Like they're just kind of all here. It's kind of, I have one for every day of the week. Not that I always wear my own. I, I sometimes wear like Nike Elite socks or whatever that might look like. But I'm realizing now, you know, what is it? Is it I forget which rapper it is. Like the picture like this. He's like talking, he's like with a thing of money. Oh, oh yeah. Like that. I'm going to do that with some socks one day. Um, <laughs> But basically, I get all my guests. It's like a come my kind of version of a thank you note on steroids. Socks their face on them. Um, every guest gets it. You guys, whenever I meet you guys at summer league or something, you guys obviously for having me on your show will get a pair of socks. Um, <laughs> so I kind of that's my way of saying thank you to everyone. And all these pictures on my wall are me with my guests in their socks, or just right. Sometimes it's me and my guests because they didn't tell me they were coming and I don't have socks for them. Uh, whatever that might look like, or it was or it was pre the sock era, which was a great era. It's been it's been a lot of fun <laughs> to giving out these socks. Um, that's really what it comes down to. It's like, I love it, 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 it. Anything that I can do, it's, it's different, right? Like I'm, I'm different. I'm a weird person. I'm awkward, whatever that might be. Like socks are weird. Not every, not, not many people give out socks to people. Um, that's kind of been my thing. I mean, I kind of think about it. like, I kind of, I and mean, you asked me like how to keep on going. I, I, I heard Joe Rogan make a quote once. And he kind of said, basically said, like, imagine like your life's a documentary. So when you're sleeping, when you when you when you miss your alarm, everyone in the theater is going, man, this guy's a loser. Like, just think about that. Like, think about like you know your life being a documentary series. And I think about that all the time because I like to think of it as like I'm in the opening chapter of like an awesome story, and that story concludes with me. And like that, not that it's like like I, I'm living my dream right now. Like the fact that I get to wake up every day and think about basketball, I'm living the dream. So whether I'm a whether I'm a GM at whatever age or whatever that might look like, I'm gonna be at that level and look back and say, man, it was dope being 21 and giving out socks to people and doing a podcast and going to Vegas because like, that that was fun. Like now, yeah, sure, I I have the title, it's you know whatever, but that, those were the days. I think about it all the time because I know I'm gonna. That's the way I'm gonna think. The way my mindset's built, unless that changes somehow, which I don't think it will because it's a pretty. I like to think it's a pretty ironclad mindset. I'll be looking back at life that same way at that point. So I kind of think of it that way. It's like, I'm living, like, I'm not going to be the kind of guy that sits here and says, well, when I'm a GM, that's when I'll have what I want. That's when I'll rest is when I'm a GM. It's like, no, like that's just a continuation of that. Like, I'm not, I'm going to be no, just cause I'm a GM doesn't mean, or whatever it is that not that being a GM is my goal or anything like that. But that doesn't mean like that I'm done or that doesn't mean that like now, now, now I'm right now the podcast work. It's like, no, the pod, like, you know, the podcast brought positivity to people before that, before I became a GM and it, it did its job. Like I met cool people before I became a GM. You know, I did its job. There's no real end goal. That's what I learned when I, when I made the team, it's like, I thought I made the team, like my movie, like, you know, that was the end of the movie. It's like, no, the movie's still like the movie, like, the movie's still going. Like the documentary series is still, the camera's still rolling, but it doesn't just stop. Like the credits don't just roll when you make the basketball team and you hit the game winning shot. Like that's not how life works. Um, it keeps on going. So that's maybe the biggest thing is I, I try to think of myself as like being in that movie set in that movie setting to where like, how can I not like that? This is, I'm like, it's my destiny almost to post this episode today because I'm supposed to do one for every day this year. Right? It's my destiny to do that. Like it's, I'm, I'm supposed to, um, that's a big part of, of, of how I keep on going do what I do or, or that I've been able to do all that stuff is because I, I think about that big picture thing. And that's just, that's just fun. So uh, let's let's take big picture and trans translate it to the like the NBA landscape, right? So we're midway through the season, uh, pulling up on All Star Weekend. Obviously, the trade deadline is around the corner as well, and that's been pretty crazy over the last couple of days in terms of a lot of the things that have happened. What are some of your initial thoughts or takeaways from this NBA season so far this year, with the way things have been, some of the surprise teams that have popped out, some of the teams that aren't playing nearly as well as we expected, so on and so forth. There's a lot. Um, number one, it's that there's so many teams that we didn't expect. Like, like the Nets and the Lakers were the easy favorites to win the championship this year, and they're not even in the plane. Like some, I, I think both of them aren't in the plane as of right now. So like, that's kind of crazy to think about. It's like 
not that we got it wrong. It's that like so many teams proved, you know, so many teams. And I always think about that all the time. It's like people are like, oh, I'm going to prove him wrong. It's like you didn't prove him wrong. You just like, you just like changed the whole, like, like they might have been right had like things played out the way they were supposed to, but you just changed the whole, you changed the whole narrative. You didn't prove someone wrong. You just, you just changed everything. And that's what teams like the Bulls, teams like the Cavs, the Cavs, obviously, them, they're other than the Knicks because I work for the Knicks. They're my favorite team in the league by a mile because number one, Kobe Altman, of course, I think I told you guys off air, he was a freshman coach at Xavier before I was. So that's a thing that like, you know, kind of that's, and I didn't even know that until I was a sophomore in high school. That's the thing that kept me going. It's like, that was really motivating to me is that my head varsity coach was like, yeah, you know, we got all this Cavs gear and I have it all. I have like a mountain of Cavs gear, like in my bottom desk drawer. It's like all this Cavs gear. And it's like, everyone's like, why do you have like, are you a Cavs fan? I'm like, number one, yes. But like, number two, it's like, you know, not that I'm, you know, it's just like Kobe wants, it's just it gets from Kobe. Um, but when he told me that I was so, that, that motivated me even more. Cause I'm like, wow, like someone like me from Xavier that coached freshman basketball can be an NBA GM. Like, what can I do? If like, you know, someone else did it the same way I did. And that's another motivating thing for me. It's like, of course we can talk all about like, or when you're talking about motivating yourself, it could be all about you. And okay, well, I need to get to the next level for myself. I look at it as like, I got to do it because there's so many people watching me that ex- number one, either expect me to do it or number two, like need me to do it so they can do it too. Like some people that's, that are starting podcasts right now, they're doing it because they saw me do it and find success with it. Or they are that are reaching out to people are doing it because they see me doing it. My little cousins who are watching me working. I mean, I, I, st- I got this job at MSG. My older cousin did a similar thing a few years ago. He had an internship with MSG. It was a little different program back at the time. Um, he was trying to be a sports agent, was in the mailroom at CAA. And when I was 12 years old and he was 17, or no, I'm sorry, I was 17. He was 22 doing what I'm doing now. And he would give me these Christmas gifts of like, you know, like the way I have like all this stuff from like the giveaway and stuff or like the hockey, I truly has the hockey stick from the boss, from the, some team, some hockey team that I don't even know what it is. And he'd give me that for Christmas. I'm like, damn, like Nicholas works in sports. Like, that's so cool. Like, I could do that. Like, he's doing it. I could still do that too. Like I have little cousins that are think, looking at me that way. I have freshmen at Xavier that come up to me every day and say, are you going to the next game tonight? And I'm like, yeah, we're playing this day. And they're like, oh my God, like, I'm going to be there too. Like, I hope I can see you. Or they go, oh, that's so cool that you're there. Like, you know, like I'm so, that's so cool that you're going to be there. Like, you're going to be courtside. You're going to do this. You're going to say hi to Julius. Like, how this stuff doesn't even happen that they assume I'm doing. But the fact that they, like, their head goes there, it's just like, they now know that they could do it too, or that they're looking at it as like, that's what's next. So, like, that's my biggest goal. It's like, for example, when I think of Xavier basketball in 2008, 2009, I don't, or he's 2005, six, seven, all those years that Kobe was there. I don't think of like we don't win a championship that year. I don't think about anything. There's there were some great players that played back in that time in like the 06, 07 season. I think of the fact that like and like, like Kobe was there. It's like that was those guys like had Kobe as their coach. That's what I hope. I mean, sure, I'd love to win a championship, and that's what I hope our guys remember the season for is the basketball, because obviously that's a big part of them. But they can remember it for like, oh, like, you know, Coach John really made me feel important. He really changed my basketball. He really made me feel important or whatever that might look like. Or I'm not working in sports and coach John motivated me to do like that's, that would mean the world to me. Um, and like, that's one thing I told Kobe when I met him at the garden, it's like, I want kids at Xavier in 20 years to look at me the way I, I, I looked at you and said like, you know, what, I could do it too, or that, you know, what, I can kind of chase that. So that back again, you, that you kind of asked me about the NBA landscape as a whole. That's what, what I kind of, you, I, I thought about the Cavs and I went crazy because Kobe Altman, Darius Garland, Greg Buckner, great people over there in the Cavs organization. So, so I'm gonna Brian Tabaldi, Tyler Neal, um, JJ Outlaw, so many guys that have really been really good to me or that are great people, and obviously some great basketball players. But so many other teams, right? I mean, you look at teams like Memphis Grizzlies and John Morant. Like John Morant wasn't like that's a story that I love to death because like right him him being discovered because a coach went to go get like a soda or something or whatever a bag of chips and then saw John Morant. Like that stuff really fires me up. Um, he's obviously playing out of this world. He came to the garden. That was a fun night. Um, you had Steph 
the Warriors really setting the world on. Well, they're still playing great basketball, but like Steph dropping, breaking the three-point record. That was a lot of fun. So many storylines through such a short part of the NBA season that it's been so much fun. And we're not even at the All-Star break yet. And this trade deadline, I think some trades broke when we were on the, when we were on, we've all been on Zoom, like a second round pick got moved for like something going on, on an expiring contract. Small stuff, but like fun things were like, it's just really moving and like being able to, number one, I've seen every team play this season, which has been a dream come true. And it just keeps me even more involved and make me feel it makes me feel even more part of the action. But really what it comes down to is like, there's been so many surprises this year and we can talk about some of those teams like the Cavs or, I mean, there's so many teams. There's the Bucks that repeated last year. There's the Raptors who everyone wrote off after last year when they were the 14th seed in the East. And now they're actually winning games or the Sixers who don't have Ben Simmons and they're still winning and they're still winning or the Sacramento Kings who are terrible or the Knicks who are terrible. Like there's so like, I, I, I had to bully one team before the Knicks, and then I got to the Knicks, and we'll talk about that. Um, but there's like, there's teams that are terrible that we thought would be good. There's teams that were, that are really good that we didn't think we thought would be middle of the pack. And it's the parody. Everyone always talks about super teams, how it's ruined basketball and how the league is worse and how they shoot too many threes. And it's like, this is the best NBA. This is like the best NBA ever. Like, sure, 2016 might be the great greatest season of all time because of all, like, you know, Kobe's the last game, Cavs up 3 1. I'm sorry, go, uh, Cavs come back, back from down 3 1, all that good stuff. But in terms of a regular season, I mean, it's just going to always, it's going to keep on getting better. In terms of the talent we're seeing on every on a night to night basis, it's always going to get better. I mean, look, the 90s might have been super physical and oh my God, we missed the 90s. But right now, it, basketball is just so much fun. The state of the NBA is great. And I, I just love turning on the, I just love watching every game. I just love it watching every game. I love the storylines. I love the players. I love the youth in the league and the direction the NBA is going in. It's going to be a lot of fun. Ryan, how about you? I mean, like, what are some of your initial takeaways? I mean, I know we're probably going to try to do like a catch everybody up episode after the All-Star weekend, but like, what are some of your just like initial thoughts from the first half of the season? Because I mean, it's been pretty nuts. And like, obviously, like I mentioned beforehand, this trade deadline is only making things more interesting because it's going to be a lot of new look teams after next week. I think the big thing when you look at the first half of the season is just how crazy it's been to this point because so much has happened. You talk about the amount of storylines that have happened up to this point. You can pick one interesting storyline from every team in the league. And you could talk about how the Knicks are struggling because of, you know, the the expectations that they had coming into this season, but they're struggling right now and you know, they're it seems like they might be trying to make a move at the deadline, but I'm I'm not 100% sure right now. Um, you know, you could talk about the Brooklyn Nets as well with the fact that James Harden now has uh, is basically wanting out of Brooklyn at this point. Then you look at the Lakers, how their big three isn't isn't working as much. Um, you could talk about the success of the Grizzlies as well. It's more of a case that so much has happened in a a couple months that the landscape within the NBA is just changing every single day. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my quick takeaways from it so far is just the fact that this season, I think the parity aspect that John was talking about is probably the most important thing to me. I think this is the most competitive version of the NBA we've had in a while. Obviously, yes, the super team stuff made it where from a legacy standpoint, when you look that back at the NBA a couple of years from now, there's going to be certain teams that stand out from a roster construction standpoint. But if you talk about some of the toughest fights to get to the championship, I think that this is going to be one of those years where I think it's going to be a lot of nip and tuck down to the wire, just to even get in the playoffs, especially with the new play-in tournament uh, format. So I just I just think that this season has been the most competitive we've had in a while. And I thought that a little bit around the time that we had the bubble, but having a full season's uh, viewpoint of it now is, I mean, it's insane. It's funny 
that you can say something like that. And there's players like Jamal Murray, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, who went down earlier in the season, guys like that who are like superstar level athletes, like on some of these squads that are in the playoff mixture and they haven't played or they have, or they have, or they're, they're still injured and making their way back soon. So, I mean, things can only pick up from now. We've had things like Clay Thompson return the Steph Curry three point, uh, uh, record bro- broken, like John mentioned earlier, too. So it's just been super insane. Uh, John, let's talk about the Knicks a little bit, bro. Let's talk about them. You have just, to. Just briefly. Just briefly. Okay, okay, okay. Because uh-huh, we're because we're because we're going to move on to sneaky teams um, post-All-Star no, weekend. They're sneaky, they're sneaky. Horrific, but okay, keep going. So, so that, but that's why I want to ask you, because the reason why yeah. I view them as, uh, the reason why I say I want to loop them into the sneaky team aspect is because a lot of talk has been around the idea of shipping Kemba Walker. We had a brief talk in the DMs about Julius Randle a little bit. You can get into that, too, as well. But they're one of the teams, they're one of the few teams, right? Portland kind of just retooled a little bit, but they're one of the few teams that has money that legitimately has money to take on guys, to be able to make some kind of legitimate moves either in the offseason or even with some of the trades moving forward. Like, thoughts on the Knicks season? I know that you kind of was trashing them a little bit, but thoughts on the Knicks season so far? Like, what do you think they need to do in order to turn this season around or just try to get back to some level of competency after having such a high rise last year with the fourth season? We've been trying to get back to a level of competency for years. We did it last year. We got back to some competency. We kind of lost our step this year. And it's it's all in good fun. I was making fun of the Knicks. It's just it's just like it's just part of being a disgruntled or you know upset Knicks fan. That's just part of the of the whole thing. And it's it's you know, it's important to be able to laugh at yourself and be able to make jokes. Cause obviously the Knicks are, you know, MSG is awesome. The Knicks, you know, they have a lot of fun young players. RJ, Obi's my favorite player. Like just he's just awesome. Um quickly, like, there's so many young, they have young talent, they have a, they have they have awesome things going on. But look, I'm part of the No Trade Clause team. That's how I'm with, with uh, Sports Business Classroom. We have an awesome website with a great trade machine. And we have all these league, all the side cap stuff. I was on it on the Knicks page. And I tried to trade Julius Randle to all 29 teams. The, the website crashed on me. It gave me an error message. Then I went and tried to trade him to, I went and tried to trade him to China. And China said no. I went to the NBL in Australia. I went to the Canadian Basketball League. I went to the 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 CHSAA, the New York City CHSAA, where I coach right now, and I tried to trade Julius there. They said no. Everyone's saying no, and it's upsetting that they're all saying no, and we can't get rid of him. But we'll see what happens. I, we we tried to waive him. I didn't want. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm only kidding. Um, but yeah, obviously it's it's been it's been a rough season. I've been making that joke for a while now because I was. I was part of the trade. We, that he was the next one of my team in the trade deadline. I was like, "Hey, who wants Julius Randle?" Like, no one in the chat responded. I was like, "Damn, <laughs> uh, we're, we're it's part of no trade clause." Been that's been a, a, a great experience just being around these guys who are so good with the salary cap, and that's how, kind of how I'm getting the summer league next year. Um, is with that that squad over there, no trade clause. But back to your question, what the Knicks can do? We've made historically made the mistake of draft of, of, of signing veteran players who were good like five years ago and weren't we've been doing it since the 90s we've been doing it we've been doing it for a long time taking guys that were good a little while ago and we're like hey maybe we can bring them back and we've proven that we can't bring anyone back um we can't we can't we've kind of jumpstart any careers um i'm trying to think right now just for the sake of this yeah i, I always try to think of this when have we ever jumpstarted someone's career and brought them in like hey they're pl- having their best year ever at 31 years old with the Knicks. that hasn't happened ever um so unfortunately, that is to say that we're not very good at that. What we are good at is let's get someone young, like you know Porzingis, or right, let's say Obi works out, or all these you know some you know, RJ's looking solid. Okay, that, that's kind of John Moran at number two. That's like 
more than what you can expect. Like when guys are like super, like even the number one pick in the draft, like the expectation is not that they're an MVP. Like people kind of get that mixed up. Like a first round pick is not supposed to be an all-star. Like if you get a starter out of the 10th pick, like that's a very good pick. Like that's what, like that's everyone get like, sure. There's the crazy Jokic shit at the, at the 30, at the 41st pick. Those are like absurd. Like, Oh my God. Like how did that happen? But for the most part, people I think expect first round draft picks to be like right away. Like, Oh, if, if he's not a, you know, a surefire starter or an all-star like the front office messed up that's not like the expectations have to be way low and that's kind of what gets guys in trouble is like the expectations are so high right off the bat they can't live up to it as a first round pick like it's not it doesn't always have to be that way um so a lot of these guys right are progressing the way that they're like rj is a start is a, is, a, is a legit starter um he would be a legit starter on a good team even i i, I would argue his skill set skill set wise sure he's a little on and off but he has that talent there so People are kind of quick to jump on and put the bus label. I don't think that's appropriate for a lot of these guys. Um, but the Knicks have those pieces there. The worst thing we could do is trade one of those guys. I think that's probably the worst thing we could do. The best thing we could do is move some of those veteran pieces. Now, the only thing is, I'm not I'm not smart enough to tell you how to do that. I don't I, I don't know what the answer is. Like I told you, Julius got you know declined everywhere. Kemba is a you know the biggest thing is that there's a, obviously a big division in the front office. Whether there's the report today about you know Tom Thibodeau not wanting uh, Cam Reddish on the team and he didn't want that trade to happen, but it did. Like those are the internal problems we have to sh- we have to cl- clear up first before we can make any adjustments because the roster can be whatever it is we can have a great roster if there's a division to where front office and management and the coaching staff and the players aren't on the same page like it doesn't matter if we have the the the, the warriors the, you know the katie steph warriors that team worked sure they had great talent but they also had cohesiveness and sure maybe they fought a little bit at the end and whatever but for the most part like there's some kind of steadiness and some kind of chain of command and there's 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 some sort of of t- there's a teamwork aspect there that's just not there with the knicks and we need to fix that stuff up and then we'll be we'll be a solid team again maybe not the four seed maybe not last year maybe that's a maybe that maybe that won't happen for a while maybe it does maybe it happened maybe this year we turn it around i mean it's not it's not that like like right now only one game is separating like first to seventh in the East. Like really it's that tight with everybody. The Knicks are a little bit further back than that, but still last year they were in a similar spot. They weren't, they weren't the four seed at this time last year before the all-star break. They ended up getting, becoming 500 right before the all-star game. I was at that game and side talk was outside with the cameras and everyone going crazy. But have we seen side talk at the garden in the last few months? No, unfortunately they've been absent. I missed the guys at side talk. It was really fun after the opening night this year with the whole bing bong stuff that was short lived, but it was great. Hopefully we get back to our bing-bonging ways. I'm going to use that as a verb because those were the days. But I, a lot has to change internally before we can make any changes to the roster, I think. Let me ask you this, though, about Julius Randle because I actually was asked this question on the All Hustle No Luck, uh, no Luck podcast the other day. And it got me – it has me thinking because the idea of Julius Randle signing the extension after the season he had last year seemed like the best move because – why why not reward your biggest your best player with a big contract this year you can make the argument he's just not performed up to the level of the contract so john i kind of want to let you play gm here for a second would you if you know with with what you with what you know about julius randall right now would you have signed him to that big contract Okay, you use the word argument, and you're asking me if I would have signed him. Okay, um, it's not an argument, and hell no. So yeah, let's get that out the way right off the bat. Like, absolutely not. Um, now, in terms of what I would have done, like, okay, how do you approach that? Your best player having their best season. Like, how do you kind of approach them having that kind of season? I look. Is it difficult to say? 
hey, you were you had the best year of your career last year. Um, you really weren't that good in the playoffs. These were the reasons why. The reasons why being, of course, because Atlanta keyed in on him, and there's so many other reasons around that. Can we build around you to where that doesn't happen again? Not really. Is Kemba Walker the answer? I mean, look, sure. Is it is it easy for me to – hindsight's twenty twenty for me to say that Kemba wasn't the answer to that? Did the Knicks front office think he was? Maybe they did. Kemba and Fournier and all these guys. Were that Was that going to really open up the floor for Julius to where he'd have a great season this year again and not have a repeat of last year's playoffs against the Hawks? Right now, 2020, I can say, with hindsight, I can say, yes, they should have known that. At the time, it's a tough decision, so I'm, I can't really go back and say that, well, they should have known that those guys wouldn't work. If you know that that's not enough and we might see a repeat of the Hawks situation, Julius Randle's trade value would never has never been higher than last year, and it's never been lower than this year. Um, so that's kind of the struggle they're in right now to where they really can't get anything for him if they were to trade him. Like I said, even China said no. But last year... It's a very tough move to make, but if you get a crazy return back, which they might have been able to get, I would say, I would argue, why not, right? Right now, I don't think they could get Ben Simmons. Like everyone, it's funny. We talk about this at the office all the time. People are like, oh, would you want Ben Simmons for him? I don't know if we could get him. Like th thinking about how, like with the, 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 with, the, with the Nets trial talks them right now and how those are going, obviously it's a whole different situation with Harden being on an expiring deal and his age and all that stuff. But suffice to say, like it's a very sticky situation where, what do you do in that situation? Like, it's a very tough management call to do that because the fan base, let's say they trade Julius and they were in the same situation they were, we were in now and Julius was doing okay with another team, the fan base would have rioted. Like, can you, like, I can't even imagine what that would have been like. Oh my God, you blew up. The one time we had a good franchise, you blew it up. It's a risk, but that might've been the smarter basketball move knowing that, hey, this is what Julius looks like when it's not the regular season of 2021 and like, you know, defense is playing him in this way. Like once they tighten up on him, this is what it's going to look like. And because of the roster we have around him next year and the year after, because we don't have any free agency plans to sign more guys and we can't, we don't really trade assets that are developed enough yet because all the guys are super young. Let's surround him with veteran guys like Kimball Walker that really won't alleviate that much pressure off him to where that's going to happen. Like there's so much looking forward to have to do that. It would have been impossible for them to trade to have traded him last year. They had to sign him to that big deal because they weren't going to sign him for less than that. That really wasn't going to happen. Um, it's, it's tough. It's a really tough situation that I have not been in the seat in the seat of his gym to be able to say I'd make that call and trade him right away. Right away. That might have been that that in hindsight would have definitely been a better move. Um, I have to see if like next time a situation like this comes up again, if I'm mature enough or if I'm ready enough to say time to move on from that, which is a tough decision to make. So I mean, my last next question, and we're kind of coming towards the closing of this podcast. But like my last next question, really for you in general, is just like from an objectivity standpoint, this team might still look the same as it does today, like going into tomorrow's trade de deadline being um over at 3 o'clock. We're recording this on the 9th. Of course, it, at 3 on the 10th is when it's all said and done. Like, where do you realistically see this team finishing, like, when the year is over? Right now, they're 12th in the East at 24 and 31, 11 games back of first place, 2 and 8 in their last 10. And based off everything we've seen so far, like I said, this team is probably going to look the exact same, if not with some small moving pieces between now and tomorrow. Well, I hope it doesn't get any worse. I'm kidding. Um, I, I, that is my personality just to make jokes about this kind of stuff. Um, but in all seriousness, I would like to think that even if the roster stays exactly the same, Cam Reddish is a great piece. And I think he will at some point, whether Tibbs lines up to him or he proves his, 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 his uh, proves it in, in, uh, in practice, He'll find his way on the roster. And he's a very talented player, and we do have. And like the good thing is, we do have youth. Like, maybe, okay, we're not 
what, what teams have great. You have so many. I mean, we're not the Warriors who have a second round pick, just the second pick in the draft, just chilling in the G League because they can afford to do that, right? Like, we're not that level of like we have young talent, but we still have enough young talent to where we could get better in a lot of parts of the, in a lot of aspects of the game to where maybe we do go from 11th to 10th or 9th. And I'd love to see a play a playing game at the garden. Well, we need to be, have the eighth or seventh, actually the ninth seed plays the 10th seed. So if we get the ninth seed, we'll still have one playing game at the garden. So that would be awesome. I know they'll fight for it. I, th- I have a feeling they'll get better. We played, we were five and one at the beginning of the year and the one loss was to the magic, which we ended up losing to them twice. And they're obviously one of the worst teams in the league. So we have been able to play good basketball before we, as recently as this, it's not even just the last year thing. We've, we played good basketball for stretches this year. We've come back against the Celtics down 20. We've had, there's some, been some great moments at Madison Square Garden this year. People kind of forget that. Um, but there's a, the, the cloud that's hanging over us is, of course, the trade. Like, I feel once the trade deadline passes, one thing that's hanging over everyone's head is, will I get traded because there's been so much uncertainty? Like That's just kind of exacerbating the problem. So I would like to say that out of all the teams that are 10th, 11th, 12th in the East, that we're in a better spot than most of them to come out of the trade deadline, right? With with a winning record, or in terms of like f- from the trade deadline moving forward, to do something there and to play better basketball. I can't guarantee that, um, but I would like I would really like to see that happen. And I do think that there's a there's just significant chance they're over. Let me look up some of these other teams um, in the Eastern Conference. I'm looking at them now as a standing stand right now. The Pacers made a bunch of moves just now, but they're right. They're just restructuring their entire team. They're they're getting a lot of assets. They're I mean. Getting rid of Sabonis, getting rid of all those guys. Can they overtake the Knicks in the standings? Unlikely. The Wizards just lost Bradley Beal for the whole season. They're at the 11th spot right above them. The Hawks are legit. They're winning a lot. They've won seven of their last three, so I'm not. They're probably going to stay consistently in that spot. And you have the Hornets a few games ahead of the Knicks at the ninth seed right now. I, I, I they've lost five in a row. The Nets have lost nine in a row right above them. So the Knicks have a series. Look, the Knicks have lost four in a row. It's like they're doing much better than those two teams. But if the Nets and Hornets keep on sliding. We don't know what's going to happen with Harden. We don't know what's going on there. Obviously, we know the Hawks are going to be better. But the Nets, Hornets, Pacers, Wizards, those are the teams surrounding them, and I don't have a lot of faith in any of those teams. So could the Knicks jump up a little bit? Yes, for sure. They definitely have a a shot to do that seriously considering the issues the Nets are having right now are insane. The Pacers, what they've done at the deadline, the Wizards losing Bradley Beal. There's so many things pointing at the fact that, like, the Knicks could – the top – Four seed like last year is not happening. We, we we had that jump last year. That's not happening this year. But could we get it into the play-in? I don't see why not, and that'd be a lot of fun. And that, that would really bring a lot of hope back into the city. So to close up the podcast, we kind of just want to give you the floor, especially after yeah, coming off the Knicks. Got to bring some brightness back to the podcast a little bit. I know it's a, I know that's a toughie. But um, pretty much we, we like to try to do this with all of our guests, uh, whether it's in this interview state uh, framework or just regularly having them on, just like, any of your final words, whether it has uh, anything to do with like advice, things you're doing, if you want to plug those, um, really anything. The floor is yours to kind of like end us out strong in terms of the podcast. Well, I've already plugged everything. I try not to. <laughs> right. Whether it's no trade clause, which is all, which has been a dream, which has been awesome. Xavier, Gen Z. Um, I, the only thing I didn't talk about is the internships I've done in the past, like X2. I can talk about all that stuff all day, and that's kind of what I love is that I've done all these things that are on my LinkedIn that I've really believe in. And that I'm really excited, you know, pr- proud to be up, have been a part of in the past. But the biggest thing I want to talk about is just number one, to all your listeners, if you've listened this long, thank you. Cause I, I don't, I, I don't think what I said 
I, I like to hope think that it's 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 helpful to you guys, but I mean to know that people are listening is is really means a lot. So I mean you guys pull up the analytics. It might say that people listen to the beginning of the episode and then they never did again. Who knows? Maybe that's what happened. Maybe they came, maybe they listened at the end. Maybe they stayed. I, I want I, I want to thank those people. But I like to think of myself as being incredibly approachable, whether it's right, I mean our DMs, right? We're a lot of fun. Um I would like to think that most people like when people DM, message me, unless it's like a bot on LinkedIn trying to tell me that they can make me verified or get my Instagram following, like give me a hundred thousand Instagram followers. I respond to every single message ever. And that's going to stay that way for a long time. So I, if anyone's listening and they want to get in touch with me, LinkedIn, Instagram, like I will respond immediately. Like I, I, I'm one of those freaks. I have like no notifications on my whole phone. Like I've, I'm at inbox zero, literally have no, no emails in my inbox. I, that's a lie. I have like two emails right now. Like one of them is for like a a class project that's like an assignment that's due at midnight tonight. I really don't want to start it. And it's like sitting there and it's like gnawing at me. And I have like another email about like, I'm trying to think, Oh, it's like a, like a, like a Gen Z email. And it's like, okay, like this is like our podcast. It's next week. That's like the fun. That's in my email box, like the project I want to do and that stuff. So when you email me and you say like, Hey John loved what you did on, on the podcast, we'd love to talk to you more. I will respond to you like instantaneously, whether it's that LinkedIn, Instagram DMs, whatever it is inbox, like literally my phone, does not have a single badge on it. So you reach out to me, I'll get back to you right away. I love doing this stuff. I love talking to people. I love helping people out. Um, that's just what I'm all about. And that, that's really what I want to leave this on is this feeling of positivity, smile. Like everyone kind of talks about sports as being like the super cutthroat industry. Like my mom would always tell me like, oh, like be careful. Like people might try to come after this or like, you know, oh, like watch it, like watch out. It's like, okay, maybe like some people have that impression. Maybe like a few people are not too nice or only looking for out for themselves. But for the most, I mean, I'm a, I'm 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 lucky to where all the people I have on my show are good people because no one's gonna give me the time to come on my show and be an asshole. Like that's not gonna happen. So everyone that's coming on my show is a good person. Everyone that's coming on Gen Z Hoops is a great person. But at the same time, that's kind of an extension of the. That's kind of what the industry is all about. It's like networking and being nice. Sure, there's a couple of people that maybe that aren't as approachable, and that if you try to talk to them, they'll ignore you or whatever that might look like. For the most part, though, you can talk to anybody. You can definitely talk to me, and I definitely beg everyone listening to this to just try that and do that because, and don't try it for a day. Don't try it for nine episodes, get to episode 10, do it for a little bit longer. Because if I stopped at episode six, I would have never had Coleman on. I would have never really felt that. And I, I almost did stop at five, six. Cause I had my, you know, I had my friends on and I was like, wow, the show really sucks. Like I'm not, I'm really bad at this. Like I'm not really getting any cool guests on. And then what happened? I just really stuck it out for another two, three weeks, had Coleman on, had a rush of confidence game over. Like, Get yourself to that point. If it takes you, it won't, it won't, I promise it won't take you that long. If it takes you, if it's been taking you a year, call me and I'll help you out with it because I promise you, you're like right there. You know, you know, the meme where the guy's like digging for gold and he's like running yeah. for the gold and he gives up. That's like where you are. Whoever's listening, that's where you are right now. You're literally hacking away at it and you're right there and you're about to give up. And I don't want you to give up. So don't give up. Please keep on hacking at it. If you have any questions, if you have any, if you if you don't if you're like tired and your arms hurt, just call me and I'll give it a little more hacks for you or whatever of the of the axe on the gold thing. Maybe put that as like the start of this pot. Maybe it's like the thumbnail for this show. It's like this guy <laughs> hacking at the thing with the gold on the other side and guy giving up. But do that, you will be you will thank yourself for that. So sure, really appreciate that advice, man. I mean that's huge. I think into not only in the creator space, a lot of people will take that and think, oh, he's just talking about podcasting. Oh, just get past that nine episodes. I think there's a metaphorical nine episodes in whatever you're interested in doing in terms of trying to move. I think that's great advice regardless of what kind of space you're in. But Ryan, it's been a great episode, my boy. Get us up out of here. Man, what a great episode that we had today. We want to thank our guest, John Hartophilus, for coming on and talking some hoops with us. And um, transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, 
do you think the New York Knicks will be able to turn it around and make the playoffs? Us Knicks fans, we have a lot of hope, but you know, we'll see what happens. Hopefully something big can come out of the season. But this has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk Podcast. Of course, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple. You rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.